What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Sport Universe podcast. It's me, Brian. I'm drumming Nick. What's going on, guys? And new addition, Max. What's up, guys? So as Brian introduced me, my name, my name is Max, and I'm from Tennessee, and you might have seen me on two of the Point of View videos recently. I've been writing since since about May, it was, and I go to Wake Forest University, and I'm a big hockey fan. That's mainly what I write about, and I also talk about football, so here I am. All right. We're glad to have Max. So... We're just going to start with baseball and then go right through everything. So the biggest news on the baseball side of things is uh, the Reds became the third team to have games postponed due to COVID. They had one player test positive. They had had earlier this season someone else test positive. It was a false positive. So that doesn't really count, obviously. But the Reds and Pirates uh, series has been postponed. That's the third team, like I said. Hopefully it doesn't turn into another big outbreak because it was only one player and they're doing as much contract contact tracing as possible to try and figure out where there could be other possible COVID um, symptoms and other people that have coronavirus. So hopefully it doesn't turn into another big thing because I don't know how many more big things baseball can really take on to keep the season going. Next up, that's really only the really main news for this week for baseball. But um, in, can I ask this? How many yeah. times are they testing players per week? I don't know that. Yeah, so they do saliva tests, which I don't know how much that really helps with everything, but they do saliva tests every day, I think it is. And okay. then more in-depth testing, I think, twice a week. Okay. I think that's what it is. I would like to Because I know the, the NHL is doing deep nose swab every day. Really? Yep, that's what I heard. That's, that's a lot. I mean, I, I thought... Do they get the test, the results back every day from that? I don't know. They, they announce every Monday, and so far in the bubble, in the NHL, zero positives. Yeah. That's so. the same with ba- basketball, but I would like to see a little more testing from baseball. But Right. Yeah. Um, now we're going to do a little, a little rundown. So for the Mets, obviously I'm a big Mets fan. Um, things this week did not go that great. The week actually started off pretty good. They got their record to 9-11, had run a, won a couple games in a row, uh, but they faced the Phillies this week and got swept, which obviously is not great. Um, the pitching really struggled. It was supposed to be Jacob DeGrom, Mats, and Rick Porcello going the three games, but it ended up being Walker Lockett pitched the first game. Uh, Jacob DeGrom was out with neck stiffness, so that's definitely something to keep an eye on. We need, As we had talked about before, Jacob DeGrom had, been, had a little struggle. I mean, he still pitched really good above average but he didn't have his great stuff the past two times he started so that could be something with his neck not really sure so something to definitely keep an eye on but walker lockett started i think he pitched two or three innings gave up three runs so really nothing great i mean it was basically a bullpen game for the mets then you went to steven Matz, who has been such a disappointment this year this was supposed to be another year where it was going to be steven Matz's breakout year and he, he, he was given all the possible opportunities by the Mets. They didn't have their number two starter. He was going to be pushed up to their number two number two starter. And I think his ERA right now is close to nine. Obviously not good. Um, he was supposed to step up, but he's definitely stepped down. He reminds me a lot of John Neese, if for any Mets fans that know the Mets. John Neese started off pretty good with the Mets about a decade ago at this point, which is crazy. But his whole career with the Mets really went down. He became known for constantly complaining about the defense behind him, just not looking like he was having fun on the mound. And really, Steven Matz is starting to take on that persona. I mean, I never see him smile, which is something that I kind of like to see from players, that they're actually having fun doing what they're doing. 
But Steven Matz, I think, gave up five or six runs. What's today? I guess uh, Friday night. And then Rick Porcell yesterday started off good, then had a bad one bad inning, which really just turned the whole start around. Oh, that was today. Rick Porcell had one bad inning today. Um, the Mets ended up losing 6-2. to two. Just not good stuff. I mean, the pitching has always been the strong suit for the uh, Mets, and maybe I took it, I uh, didn't realize how much of an advantage it really was for the Mets because they have no depth in their rotation, which a large part is because Marcus Stroman opted out. No, Syndergaard has had a Tommy John surgery, and uh, Michael Walker is on the IL. So it's something that I think I didn't really realize how big of an issue it could be for the Mets, but it's turning into that. Um, but getting off the pitching, uh, Pete Alonso continued to struggle in the Philly series. He went 0 for 9. He didn't play today, got a day off. It's really disappointing because obviously he started off the season bad, but against the Marlins, he went 5 for 9 and seemed to be breaking out of it. And I mean, all Mets fans were hoping, obviously, that he was going to break out of it, but he really didn't. He I think he struck out like four times in the nine at-bats. So just not playing well. Dom Smith continues to crush the ball. And I was talking to my brother the other day, at what point does it become Dom Smith takes over the first baseman job? I think that's far down the line, but Dom Smith, I think, has five or six home runs at this point, has had, they didn't hit a home run today, but he had had four straight games with home runs. So it's two different sides of the ball for the Mets. Pete Alonso struggling, Dom Smith playing really well, which is something I don't think anyone expected. A few more things I want to talk about. So up the middle for the Mets, they have Robinson Cano, Luis Guillorme, Ahmed Rosario, and um, Andres Jimenez. Four people at this point who should be starting for the Mets. I mean, it started out the season, it was going to be Ahmed Rosario and Robinson Cano, and Andres Jimenez was there for a defensive replacement and also speed. Andres Jimenez has hit the ground running, literally, I mean, you see his quickness all the time. He hits the ball really well. Obviously, his defense is there. Um, Luis Guillorme, his defense has always been there. He's been known for his incredible skills in the field, and obviously that's there, but his hitting's also there, which is why Luis Guillorme and Andres Jimenez are in the mix to be second baseman or shortstop. But then again, you have Ahmed Rosario, who's continues to prove that he's a very good uh, baseball player and could be very good in the future. And then you have Robinson Cano, who the Mets made that big trade for last season and has been really hot to start the season. So there's like four players right there that the Mets could have in their second base and shortstop role for the season, and it's just something that they have to figure out. We'll see if they end up figuring it out. Luis Rojas, for me, hasn't made the greatest decisions managerially, so I don't know how he's going to figure that out, but we'll see. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about for the Mets, a big thing in the Mets world, I guess you want to call it, or the Mets universe, there we go, um, is that Wilson Ramos continues to struggle as their starting catcher, while Tomas Nito who was really only known for his defensive skills, and I don't think a lot of Mets fans had him on their radar, has burst onto the scene. He's hitting for a really good average. He has a 350 average right now, and is, he's known for his defensive skills, something Wilson Ramos is really not known for. And at this point, Tomas Nino is offering a lot more offensively than Wilson Ramos is, and offense is what Wilson Ramos came onto the team to do, finally give the Mets an offensive catcher and... This season, he really has, and Tomas Nino is definitely making a name for himself and a push to be that starting catcher. Uh, that's really it for the Mets stuff. Nick, you want to talk a little bit of the Yankees? 
Uh, sure. So the Yankees are in a really interesting spot right now. Um, you know, going through the beginning of August, they were on a cold run. They lost quite some games, but in you know in the last four games, they're four and zero. One four out of the last five. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to say where the Yankees are right now because although they won the last four, it's kind of interesting. You know, they've lost Stanton to the ten day IL to a hamstring, and he's supposed to be out maybe three to four weeks, which is quite some time uh, with how short the season is. Um, you know, Judge went down uh, a couple days ago. Even though he claimed to the media, he said he's fine. Apparently, he has some strained calves, and the Yankees are trying to be proactive with it before it gets worse. Um, and DJ LeMahieu went down with a sprained left thumb, and he's going to get that checked up tomorrow. Um, you know, big three names right there for the Yankees to lose between Stan LeMahieu and Aaron Judge. Yet the Yankees are still finding a way, still finding ways to win games, which I guess is a testament to how deep the Yankees are. Um, you know, Clint Frazier, uh, the, Yankee, the Yankees have moved him between the, the minor leagues and the major leagues multiple times now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since getting pulled back up uh, after the May went down, uh, you know, he's played three games. He has two home runs. He's batting uh, 636. Um, you know, pretty – he's stepping up big into the slot he needs to fill. Um, you know, again, even though the Yankees have lost against Stanton Judge uh, LeMayu, the Yankees are still pretty deep. They have a ton of other good players. Uh, Brett Gardner – uh, you know, Anuhar, who, who, who's been able to step up a little bit. Ursula, who's been pretty good. Uh, Gary Sanchez has been pretty hit or miss. I, I guess Gardner has been too, but uh, Ursula has been pretty big for the Yankees. Luke Voigt's been pretty solid. Uh, you know, players make finding ways to make it work. Um, you know, putting the Yankees in a position. They're 6-4 and four in the last 10 games, but again, they've won on that four-game win streak. Uh, so, you know, they're in a really interesting spot. Um, you know, it's a good sign to see that the Yankees are still winning despite having all those injuries. And I think it's it's played the Yankees for a couple years in a row now where they've gotten hot and then their players get injured and they kind of fall off and they make their, their way back. When they come playoff time, they start to get hot again and they wind up losing, um, you know, at some point in the playoffs. Uh, with the season being so short and the fact that, you know, good, good it's actually, in my opinion, I guess would be a good sign is the fact that, number one, the Yankees are able to win without their best players. Um, number two, those best players are on, only on like 10-day ILs, right? They're not out there the entire season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they'll be coming back at some point. Um, you know, it's a good sign for the Yankees. And I think they're second place in the entire MLB right now. Uh, it's a pretty good look for the Yankees. Uh, the starting pitching has been pretty solid. Um, you know, pretty solid all around. And hopefully the Yankees, when they get those players back, they'll be that dominant team that they were at the beginning of the season when they were like 8-2. and two. Um, Although 14-6 and six is really not that bad. Yeah, it's not. Uh, <laughs> unlike the Mets, Brian, but... <laughs> Um, that's all I got to say about the Yankees. Yeah, one of the more fr- frustrating things about watching the Yankees these past, I don't know, three years is that even though I don't root for injuries, but even when their good players get injured, they still somehow find other ways to win games and start calling up random talent that turns into stars for them. <laughs> um, I think, like, the perfect example is Gio Urshela, who wasn't really supposed to be anything and <clears throat> turned into something. Um, but I guess we'll go into basketball. We're going to do some playoff predictions for the first round, uh, which is starting tomorrow, I think, the 17th, which is tomorrow. Um, so I guess I'll start with the Eastern Conference, and you guys can obviously chime in. So for the Eastern Conference, uh, we have the Bucks playing the Magic. In my opinion, I don't see the Magic putting up really any fight against the Bucks. I mean, they Giannis is Giannis, and he'll take the team as far I don't need he can take them all the way to the finals I think but I'm only sticking to the first round I think the Bucks I would say they sweep the magic I don't really see the magic putting up much of a fight I think Bucks in four 
there's really not a lot of analysis I have to do there. They have Giannis, the Magic don't. They have no other stars on that team. Um, then we have the Raptors playing the Nets. The Nets also don't really have anyone. Kyrie Irving's obviously not playing. Kevin Durant hasn't played this season. And, I mean, they have Karis LeVert, but... Who was the? There's another pl- major player that was not playing in the bubble. Um, Kyrie, Katie. There's one more. DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, yeah, uh, but he doesn't really add much to the Nets anyway. But I think um, I would say the Raptors might sweep the Nets. I maybe I'll give the Nets one game, but I think the Raptors end up winning that series as well, probably in five. In terms of Celtics, 76ers, I think the 76ers are going to get hurt hard without having Ben Simmons. Obviously, they have Joel Embiid, but the Celtics have been impressive this season with uh, Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum and all those guys. I think this one, I'd say Sixers and Six, I think, not, not Sixers, sorry, Celtics and Six. I think the Sixers do have enough talent on their team to put up a fight against the Celtics, but then again, they don't have Ben Simmons, who obviously is their point guard and gets the ball around, which is pretty important. Um, Finally, for the Pacers' heat, the Pacers, they are hot, um, but the heat, I think, have Jimmy, they they have, in my opinion, this is going to be probably my only upset with the heat being the Pacers. Um, I I trust the heat more than the Pacers. I mean, who is the player we've been talking about? Uh, What's his name? Um... T.J. Warren. Obviously, T.J. Warren has been really good in the bubble. But then again, I don't know. In a series, I don't know how much I trust T.J. Warren to really pull the Pacers and pass the Heat. I think the Heat have the talent there much more than the Pacers do. And, like, he's basically a type of Lynn Sanity character. I don't think T.J. I can't give put a lot of faith in T.J. Warren to win them a series. And that's why I'm going to pick the Heat. Probably in six. Six or seven. Any opinions on that, guys? In the Eastern um, I guess I'll, I'll go first. Uh, just going through the entire list again. Total degree, Bucks are going to sweep the, the Magic. The only chance I think the Magic had of winning one game in that series would be the fact that they have Jonathan Isaac, who is, you know, he's not that great offensively, but I think he's, a, he's really a diamond in the rough. He's really a gem in the NBA that a lot of people don't know about. Mm-hmm. His defensive skills are, are amazing. You know, I think he's 6'8", six, 6'9", six, six, somewhere in that range. Um, you know, it's always hard to tell what their exact heights are but again the, the height being there really good defender and he would a, he would be able to uh, you know cancel out some what Giannis could put on the floor uh but with him going down with an ACL injury um I don't see the magic being able to pick up even one game there uh moving forward the Raptors versus the Nets I would probably say the Nets win one as well uh Karis LeVert when he's hot um you know he, he can really put it out on the floor for the Nets and, and get and kept, you know get them a victory but to, to have him to have him be hot for long enough to be able to beat the Raptors in a seven-game series is, is is impossible. The other player I was thinking Raptors. of was Spencer Dinwiddie. He's not Spencer Dinwiddie, though. correct. Spencer Dinwiddie, also also not there. Uh, that's just lack the talent to be able to come out with a victory in that uh, series, and I'd probably say the Raptors in uh, five. Uh, going with the Celtics versus the Sixers, I'd say I'd give the, the 76ers one game, but the Celtics are, Celtics are going to take the series in five. Uh, without Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, he can't carry the entire team on his back. He's been too inconsistent throughout his career. You know, I think he's. I think he's when he's, you know, up living up to his expectations and his potential. He's the best center in the NBA. It just comes down to the fact: is he healthy and is he hot that night? 
And I don't think that Joel Embiid can carry the entire 76ers team over the Celtics in that series. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going to Pacers Heat, um, you know, I'm probably going to take the Heat here as well. I'd probably say in six games. You know, I really like the Heat. I'm a big fan of them. Um, between Tyler Hero, who's been a really good rookie for them, uh, Duncan Robinson, who's been shooting lights out since he came into the league uh, this year, uh, you know, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, a lot of good Myers Leonard, you know, a lot of good guys on that Heat team. And I think they could really they could make a run in this playoffs if they all cohesive, you know, they all play really with great cohesively uh, cohesiveness throughout the playoffs. Um, with the Pacers, it honestly comes down to the, I think the biggest X factor in, in that series, which I think is going to be the most interesting series uh, out of round one, is going to be number one, Jimmy Butler. You know, we know we know what he is defensively, but he's always pretty hit or miss. I think offensively, when he's hot offensively, you know, he, he's he's a poor man's Kawhi Leonard. Um, but when he's not on offensively, you know that that Heat team does struggle a bit, and it's going to come down to him. And I think on the Pacers side of things. Are we going to see Victor Oladipo return? Um, you know, he's been on the injured list for I don't know how long now. Um, and if he does return, how big of an impact is he going to make? You know, right now he's a game time decision. Um, if the Pacers think they can win that series, and they're going to put Victor Oladipo out there, and again they've been hot, and Victor Oladipo is a really good player, and I think he'll be able to add to this Pacers team if he comes back and plays like he how he does. You know, if, if Victor Oladipo comes back with this Pacers team and how hot it is right now. And, and Victor Oladipo plays up to his potential, then I definitely could, I definitely see the Pacers uh, doing some damage against the Heat, and I would probably say they win the series. But with that being said, I don't think Oladipo is going to either come back, and if he does, I don't think he's going to have that great of an impact as he should. Um, with the Heat, how they are, I think Jimmy Butler's going to rise to the occasion. Uh, you know, with that new story that came out of him, about him doing exercise or, you know, working out yeah. in his hotel room, I think Jimmy Butler's driven. He's going he's gonna to show out in the series, and I think the Heat are going to take it. In six games. Gotcha, Max. Any comments? Not really. I mean, I think I think the Bucks Magic series is pretty um, is pretty easy one to pick. I think they would sweep. I also think the Raptors would sweep because, from what I can hear, the the Nets really don't have much of a team there. They're the bunch of their star players opted out. You know, for the seventy six or Celtics series, I think no Ben Simmons equals Celtics win five, and then I pick the Heat in seven. I don't really know too much about this series, but I thought you know. From what I could tell, um, Jimmy Butler is the best player in the series, and if they don't have Victor, Pacers have no Victor Oladipo, I think it's a Heat win. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Seems like we pretty much agree. So now let me go into the Western Conference. Um, so we had talked about last week how there could be some movement. Um, obviously, the Eastern Conference was all set, but the Western Conference ended up being the Portland Trailblazers getting the number eight seed. They beat the Grizzlies in the playing game. Um, so. Right now, I guess I'll just start. So the Lakers and Trailblazers um, are going to face off. This, I think, I see the Lakers winning. But Damian Lillard obviously coming off his MVP, if you want to call it MVP. I mean, it was only eight games, but we'll talk about that. I think Damian Lillard obviously is hot, and he plays well in the playoffs. Uh, But I think the Lakers, obviously, Anthony Davis, uh, LeBron James, I don't really have to go through that all. I think they're too much of a powerhouse. I think I give the Blazers one game. Um, just because of how hot they've been. And I'd say Lakers in five. Um, I think it will be interesting to see how Damian Lillard plays in the playoffs, um, coming off the how he's been playing in the NBA bubble, which, again, we'll talk about. Next up, we have the Clippers and the Mavericks. I like Luka Doncic. I like Kristaps to a degree. I think Kristaps is eh, – he's, like, off and on. 
Obviously, coming off his ACL injury, he hasn't really been the same. But he's still definitely there. But I think the Clippers, in my opinion, have an easier matchup than the Lakers have with the Blazers. So I think the I think I also give the Mavericks one game, but I think the Clippers win in five. In terms of the Nuggets and Jazz, I really like the Nuggets. We were talking about this last week, but the, the Nuggets have definitely impressed um, this season and during the bubble as well. And I I think I give the Jazz maybe one game again. I think the top four teams in the Western Conference are the best teams. Obviously, the Rockets, Nuggets, Clippers, and Lakers. And then I guess I'll just go into it, Rockets and Thunder. I think the Thunder definitely will put up a pretty good fight. They have Chris Paul. Um leading the way for them, and but James Harden, I mean, is obviously James Harden. So I think I give the Thunder maybe two games, but that's basically it. I have the Lakers winning, the Clippers winning, the Nuggets winning, and the Rockets winning, which there's no really upsets there, but any comments, guys? Um, Absolutely. First off, I just want to say the Western Conference is absolutely way more interesting than the yeah. Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference, which I, I put out in a POV, which Brian will put out later, you know, it's kind of a shoe in between the Raptors and the Bucks. Those are the only teams competing for a championship here. Uh, on the in the Western Conference, honestly, I could see you know one through eight making a run uh, at, at at a championship here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, starting off with you know, I think the Lakers and Clippers are probably you know your best bet, and Lakers the Lakers are my favorite to win the championship. With that being said, I think every team in the West has a shot, and I think they're all really talented. Um, that being said. Going through the first series, Lakers versus uh, Trailblazers. Uh, what you said, Dame, Damian Lillard is another animal in the playoffs, and he's super hot coming out of the bubble. Um, obviously, winning the bubble MVP. Uh, I'm going to take the Lakers in seven in this one. And I, just, you know, to put it in perspective, the Lake, the Trailblazers last year, they were in the they were in the conference finals, despite not being the best team. Damian Lillard, he he just able to carry the Trailblazers to another level. Um, come playoff time, and with Nurkic back. Um, Hassan Whiteside, uh, Mello, CJ McCollum, and you know Damian Lillard himself. I think there's a lot of talent on that team, and when they mesh well, and Damian Lillard gets really hot at playoff time, they're a tough team to beat. On the other hand, I do see the Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, uh, JaVale McGee. They, the number one, the, the amount of talent on that team is incredible. Uh, with leadership behind LeBron James is incredible, and I think the height of that team is incredible. It's really hard to stop. When you look at their starting lineup, you have LeBron playing point guard. Um, you know, you have Kuzma coming off the bench, Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, um, Jeff Green. Uh, you know, you, you have so many, you have a lot of height on, and, you know, with Jeff Green, you know, decent shooting ability. That team is just really tough to beat, and I think they're going to edge out the Trailblazers in seven in that series. Um, going to the Mavericks and the Clippers, I think this one's going to be a quick series. I'd say they sweep. Uh, the Clippers will sweep the Mavericks, although Luka Doncic has been pretty solid. Um, and Porzingis has been pretty solid this season. I just, you know, watching them against the Rockets, uh, you know, I just don't see Luka Doncic isn't clutch yet. He doesn't really have that clutch gene yet. You know, I, I assume with his amount of talent, he'll develop it as time goes on. But I don't think he has it yet. And I think Kristaps is pretty hit or miss. You know, with the Rockets and, and their small ball, I, I watch, you know, how it wound up working out almost every time with James Harden was guarding Porzingis. Um, in the post, and Porzingis couldn't capitalize on on that enough. I think he shot one for seven, and again, this is the bubble game they had against each other, and that's just not good enough when you're seven three and James Harden six four, and he's an average defender. You know, he's a pretty good post defender, but again, that height difference—you got to take advantage of that. And I just don't see the Mavericks being able to take, you know, 
with the Mavericks are, are not that great on, all, on defense. They're a lot better on offense. And with the Clippers and their two-weight ability between Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, um, Zubash, you know, there's, there's too much Patrick Beverly. There's too much defense on that team. Um, and I think that they're going to edge out the Mavericks in every single game. I, I expect a sweep from the Clippers. Um, moving to the next series, Nuggets Jazz. You know, I think this is a really interesting series. I don't know what to make of the Jazz. They, I mean, the, the Nuggets rather. Uh, they've had a pretty talented team with with Jokic and uh, you know Michael Porter Jr. coming back. You know, I think they have a lot of talent on that team. Uh, Jamal Murray. I just I don't know what they are because I would say they have, they have a, a great talent besides maybe Jokic. He's the only real big talent on the team. But, you know, they seem to mesh well. They seem to, you know, I think the past two or three years now, they've came in, I think, third, second, third in the Western Conference. I just, they never make it too far in the playoffs. And I don't think they really have any players that have that, uh, I don't even know what to call it, that edge to them, like LeBron James or a Damian Lillard that can really put them over the edge and, and win a playoff series. Um, you know, I do. I, you know, this is, I think this is going to be one of the most, edge, you know, which I think is kind of under the radar. This is going to be a really interesting series between the Nuggets and the Jazz. Because um, the Jazz do have some good talent on their team, with you Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, um, but they could never seem to win a playoff series either. So I'm probably going to take the Nuggets in seven in this one. Um, it should be an interesting series. Uh, good amount of talent on each side, but neither of them are really playoff teams. So we'll have to see how that series goes. And of course, we have the Rockets versus the Thunder. Really good series here uh, with the Rockets trading away Chris Paul uh, past this past season, which I- I'm really excited to see Chris Paul uh, doing well with the Thunder. I've been a huge fan of him. Um, for a while now, and I'm kind of, I'm still, to this day, I'm still set the Rockets traded away, Chris Paul. Um, but I do have the Rockets. I'm going to say the Rockets will probably win it in six. Um, you know, Chris, Chris Paul has led that team, you know, with his leadership ability as well as his passing abilities. Uh, he's led that team, the Thunder team, to a 44 and 28 record, which is pretty solid, the amount of talent they have on that team. But as Brian alluded to, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, you know, Russell Westbrook is. Supposedly, to he's going to miss the first couple of games of that series. But when he comes back, you know James Harden can pretty much do it on his own, I think. Um, but with Russell Westbrook coming back at some point, I think it's going to be too much for the Thunder to handle, and the Rockets will win that series in six. Uh, again, Western Conference is going to be really interesting. A lot of good teams. Um, I- I'm excited to watch the Western Conference. Yeah, um, Max, any comments? Not really, but I one thing I, I agree with you on the. The Rockets, Thunder, Lakers, Blazers, and Clippers, Mavs. I, w- I would say I felt like a part of me had to really pull an upset in one of these um, series. So I put the Jazz over the Nuggets. I do like the combination of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, and I think they have a good team around them. But And is Mike Conley going to play for that series or no? Not sure. Nick, yeah. I am not sure. I, I think he is going to play for them. Okay. Um. But Mike Conley, honestly, hasn't been much of a factor for the team. Okay. He's been, uh, you know, he, he, okay, so five hours ago, he has left the NBA campus uh, for the birth of his son out of the playoffs. So I'd imagine he does return. Um, he's likely to, they're saying he's likely to miss multiple games because of it. Um, I'd imagine he returns within one or two games. But again, Mike Conley, uh, with his age, he's been kind of a non-factor for the Jazz this year. He's been average at best. So. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Cool. All right. So, as we mentioned, a little Damian Lillard talk. talk. Obviously, he won the MVP. If you didn't watch Nick's POV on it, go watch it. It's up. So, Damian Lillard, I mean, obviously, he's a great player and everyone knows that. But his final three games, um, he had 51, 61, 42. 
points is what I'm referring to. I mean, those are crazy numbers. Obviously, he won the MVP, as I said. Damian Lillard put the team on his back, really. I mean, CJ McCollum has also had a really good bubble. Um, but he pushed the Blazers into the playoffs. And, I mean, it was between Damian Lillard and Devin Booker, which I guess I could talk about a little bit, too. Devin Booker also had a really good bubble. I mean, he led the Suns to an 8-0 record in the... I keep saying bubble, but yeah, the bubble. Um, the Suns were very impressive as well. Something to keep an eye on because I really didn't have a lot of confidence in the Suns, but the fact that they were able to pull up, pull off an 8-0 record is very impressive. I think Devin Booker's coming into his own. He's always been a really good player, but he seems to finally be putting the team on his back and leading them somewhere. Obviously, they didn't make the playoffs, but... I mean, they won eight games against some of the better teams in basketball, which is nothing to, I don't know, what's the saying? Nothing to bat an eye at. So that's all I have to do. you want to say anything about Damian Lillard? Nick? Um, you know, not really. I, sh- I just wanted to say again, you know, he had, he had an excellent bubble, uh, you know, regular season bubble. Um, but I do want to say that James Harden, as yeah. I said in the POV, has been doing this for years. Where's the credit? Put up 60 points in leading his team to victories. Um, but, you know, James Harden, oh, he's, he's a bull hog, dribbles too much, etc., etc. But Damian Lowe does it. He gets all the praise. But that's all I got to say. Do you want to speak on the other things too, Nick? Uh, sure. You know, I think the, the Suns with their 8-0 run was really interesting. Um, you know that, that that team is is a really interesting team. They they haven't been able to win games, but I think they have a solid roster uh, starting five there between uh, Ricky Rubio, who's you know he's a pretty average, a little I'd say slightly above average point guard in the NBA. Um, I like mean, Devin Booker, which speaks for itself. You know he's a premier talent in the N- uh, NBA. Rather, um, he's been the star of that team for quite some time now, and they haven't really been able to uh, acquire victories, which is pretty bad because. In, that's why uh, Draymond Green was on. I think he's been running in TNT uh, for the bubble, and he said that the the Suns should trade him, and he might get charged with tampering yeah, or fined for tampering. We'll have to see what happens there. But um, you know, will Devin Booker leave the Suns? I don't know, but he's just not winning there. But you know, they did go on the eight all run, so we'll see if things slip around. You know, obviously they're not in the playoffs, but we'll see come regular season next year. Will that eight no run stick with them? Mm-hmm. Will, will we see that eight no Suns team next season? I don't know. Um, but going further, you know, they have McCall Bridges, uh, Villanova products. He's been pretty solid uh, for the Suns. Um, Aaron Baines, you know, they, they kind of switch out that power forward spot quite a bit. Um, but Aaron Baines has been pretty solid coming over from the Celtics from them. And then DeAndre Aiden, who was the first-round draft pick a couple of years ago, uh, he's, been, he's been pretty good for the Suns. Uh, living up to a first-round first pick, I don't know, but he's been pretty good center for the Suns. So, you know, pretty good roster right there. Uh, you know, we got some got some talent going off the bench, too, maybe like a Ty Jerome, who maybe might may not be the most athletic guy, but can really handle the ball. And he's still developing, obviously, because he's a rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, good amount of talent on that team, and they just never have seemed to mesh. Um, and maybe with – I'd say maybe a coaching change necessary in Phoenix. That might be the, the way to go here. But, you know, obviously that team can – if they can go 8-0, no, they can be a good team. Um, it just comes, you know, especially in the bubble where the, it was a top 22 team. So any victory in the bubble, I think, is bigger than any other regular season during the regular season. Because you got to remember, in the bubble, we're only the top 22 teams. And to be able to go 8-0 and against the top 22 teams is, is big. Uh, you're playing against better talent and you're winning games. So uh, the Suns can be a good team. I think I think with the right coaching, you can see a, a Phoenix Suns team like we saw in the bubble. Um, and then the final piece of news, which Brian hadn't got to, was that Jim Boylan, uh, coach for the 
Chicago Bulls got fired, and Alvin Gentry, coach for the New Orleans Pelicans, got fired. Uh, the Bulls have been pretty abysmal in the past couple of years. You know, a mixture of talent and coaching, I'd say. Um, and they'll see what, what they're going to do there. I think both teams are looking at the same replacements, which I'll get to in a second. And then Alvin Gentry got fired for for the Pelicans, which you know, I don't know what to say about this because again, the Pelicans are really young between Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson. Um, you know, was it the yeah? I, and they almost made the playoffs, right? Um, with that being said, even though they are a young roster, I don't think Alvin Gentry was really the ultimate solution at coaching. I don't think he was a bad coach, but he's not a coach that's going to bring them a, a championship. And I think the the you know the Pelicans are realizing that early, and they're not going to hold on to him and waste any years of uh, Zion Zion's prime. Uh, they're going to try and get a replacement, the best replacement they can right away, and get him a coach that can win a championship. With that being said, I think the two names that I've heard the most come out uh, in terms of replacements for both those teams would be Tyron Lue, uh, coach for the Cavs for a little while, um, and then during LeBron's championship years, and then as well as Jason Kidd. I've heard those two names pop up, and I think every time there's a coach search, those two names pop up, and I just don't understand why. Neither of them have been overly yeah. successful coaches in the NBA. Um, I think particularly like Tyron Lue, yes, he won a championship, but did he? was it really him or was it LeBron? You know, once LeBron left the Cavs, the Cavs were awful again. Um, you know, where I think you look at a coach like Greg Popovich, you give Greg Popovich any player in the league, and he'll he'll get you almost a playoff team. You know, he's got he's reached the playoffs for the past like what twenty two seasons in a row, um, not including this year. So Greg Popovich, great coach. Tyron Lue, not so much. I just don't understand why NBA teams continue to go back to, to people like Tyron Lue and Jason Kidd, and maybe not reach for a either college coach or someone else. Um, with their with their track records, uh, it should be interesting to see what, where they go. Though I'm more interested to see where the Pelicans go because again, the, with the Pelicans roster right now, um, I'm sure they're going to have a solid draft pick in this year's draft. Maybe they'll make a trade to acquire a little bit more talent and then have like a really really good team there. Again, a lot of young talent there, so the coach they pick is going to be pretty big in terms of their future and uh, where they'll go. Okay, uh, Nick, you cut out there at the end. Uh, he's fixing his AirPods. Give him a second. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, my bad, my AirPods. <laughs> I, um, I think it'll be pretty interesting to see where they go because, uh, you know, with the amount of young talent they have on that team, the coach is pretty important to mold that talent as well as, you know, in terms of their projections, playoffs, championships. So, you know, this coaching selection, I think, for the Pelicans is going to be pretty big, and I'm pretty excited to see who they pick. Yeah, with the Pelicans and the coaching – I mean, it goes on both sides. Like, you want to be able to get a good coach for Zion Williamson as soon as possible. But then again, you don't want to just rush it and pick someone like Tyron Lue or Jason Kidd, who I totally agree are not good coaching candidates, and totally ruin the future. Because obviously when you have rookies and young players, the coaches mold them a lot of the time. And you don't want a bad coach to mold them, which I think is something to keep in mind. Um, That's really it for basketball and we'll go right into hockey okay so the first round of the stanley cup playoffs the, the real thing not the qualifiers the actual playoffs began this past tuesday so i'm going to give a quick rundown of each series so uh, and after that each series i'll announce i'm going to move on to the next so if you guys have a question um just let me know interrupt me as i say you know, i'm moving on to the next one so i'm going to start out with the Islanders and Capitals, and the Islanders went up today 3 nothing in the series. They put the Capitals on the brink of elimination, and it's pretty clear. They've been the better team so far, you know, in terms of generating pressure, 
Um, even strength play, it's been they've been far superior. And goaltending, I thought Braden Holtby had a really bad game one. They've been better where it mattered. And I, I actually predicted the Islanders to win this series. I didn't think it'd go quite like this, but I've always said this has been a favorable. This is a favorable matchup for them because. You know, they have a real, really, really solid defensive core with guys like Ryan Pulock, De- Devon Taves, and Adam Pellick, and they can neutralize the Caps' loaded offensive core, especially now, more so now that Nick Backstrom isn't playing. And you know, the, and the Capitals have a shaky back end with you know, their defense has not been playing that well, and Braden Holtby has had a down year. And you know, they've been exploring that Anthony Beauvillier is having a really good playoff, and Matt Barzell had a really good goal t- to end the game today. And plus, this is Barry Trotz's. Um, the Capitals are Barry Trotz's former team, and with him coaching the Islanders, he knows them pretty well. So that's another reason why I picked the Islanders. And right now, that looks the way it's going to be. You know, obviously a miracle can happen. Series not over, but you know, it's Islanders definitely definitely looking like they're going to win this one. Move on to the next round. So I'm going to move on to the Flames versus Stars series. And one thing that's really shocked me, you know, throughout these whole playoffs. And since the qualifiers, the Flames' depth has really showed up. It's something that didn't happen in the regular season. But mainly their third line of Milan Lucic, Sam Bennett, Dylan Dubé has really shown up. They've probably been the, one of the best lines in the playoffs, I would say. And you know, and the, when they played the Jets, I thought this was going to really happening because the Jets were super injured by losing Mark Shifley and Patrick Lyonet. But no, they've continued their, their great play. And I picked the Stars to win this series originally, but I'm going back on that now, you know, because I think the Flames, you know, the games they've won, they've looked more complete. And, you know, they with the depth showing up, this happens for them moving forward. I think this is a really, really, really good team. So I think they're going to win this series. It's a tie 2-2 right now. The Stars won today in overtime, but I think the Flames are going to take two, at least two of the, maybe the next two games. We'll see if it goes through game seven, but I think they're going to win two more games. Carolina versus Boston, um, the Hurricanes versus Bruins. The Bruins are up 2-1 to one in this series. This was some of the most, as far as I've seen playoff hockey so far, this is some, some of the most even hockey I've seen. You know, both teams are stacked on offense, stacked on defense, great goaltenders. But the big story of this series has turned into um, the players missing now. Tuka Rask opted out on um, yesterday morning. And I think a lot, some people could suspect this coming because he, when I said in his press conference Thursday, how, you know, he wasn't really stressing much about results and how how without fans it feel like playoff hockey, which is not something you want to hear from your starting goaltender. You know, obviously he could have opted out because of, he said family issues. And if that's really the main thing, then he needs to do that. And I support him, but I think it's not really a good look for him. But anyway, the Bruins now have to put Yaroslav Halak in goal. And he's been pretty solid. He was pretty solid. And he has been all year. And, but the Hurricanes also lost a player. They lost Andre Svechnikov, one of their best forwards on the team. And personally, I think this hurts the, the, the Canes' loss hurts them more than the Bruins because the Bruins, like I said, Halak is still a solid goaltender, and the Bruins' defense is good enough. They're going to keep the puck out of the net most nights. But the Canes, they lost a that's a huge loss for them on offense. You know that he's their sniper, and they're still going to score goals. They have depth. They still have Sebastian Ajo, who's their best player. But that's I think it's a huge loss, and I and I picked the Hurricanes to make the um, the Stanley Cup Finals in my bracket. So I mean, hopefully. Um, Svechnikov off and go back, and they still could make it, you know, without him. But it, uh, their coach Rod Brindamore said he doesn't think he's going to come back for the entire playoffs. So that'd be it'd be tougher for him to, for the teams to make the finals now. So moving, on, I'm not going to really talk about a series as much in this point, but I 
one of the points I want to talk about, the two teams in the West who look like the best, the um, the Avalanche and the Golden Knights. Personally, I th- think the Avalanche are the better team. Of these two, would win in a head-to-head matchup. Both teams are super deep, and they have goaltending. But the um, I give the Avs the advantage mainly because of Nathan McKinnon, who I believe is the second-best player in the NHL. And the Knights' defense has been shaky at some point points um, in the regular season and in the bubble. But I think it would probably be a six-seven game series between these two. As far as who I think will have an easier time winning um, in the qualifying round, um, I mean, in, in the first round of the playoffs, the, I think the Avs have, will have a tougher time because they're playing the Coyotes and their goaltender Darcy Kemper is playing absolutely out of his mind hockey right now. And the Knights are—I still think the Avs are going to win. They're up two to one that series, and the Knights. I think they just look like the better team in that series. They're up three zero with the game four beginning. It could the puck could be dropping honestly as we speak. It's supposed to begin any minute. Might already might already have. But as far as the first round goes, I think the Knights have an easier matchup. But the um, but I think in a head to head matchup, the Abs would win it. So moving on, this Canucks Blue series. The Canucks are up two nothing, and the Blues, the defending Stanley Cup champions, are still winless in the bubble, and they're in trouble. You know they've. In these games versus the Canucks, they've been generating pressure, but they're losing on the speed battle. They can't contain the Canucks, especially Bo Horvat's had an amazing series so far. And Jordan Bennington, who was the X factor for them last year, and he saved them. I, I think, I honestly thought the Bruins should have won last year, but Jordan Bennington came up strong every time he had to, but he's not playing as well. His stats are really, really bad. I think his goals against average is above four, and I think his save percentage is a Below 0.87, not good at all for your starting goaltender. And there, there's talk of a goaltending change. To my knowledge, they have not. Craig Ruby, the head coach of the Blues, has not yet announced who what's going to happen. And I don't expect them to till about 30 minutes before puck drop, which is not for another three and a half hours of puck drops at 9:30 my time, which is 10:30 your guys' time. But personally, I would go with Jake Allen because I think this team needs a spark. They're in trouble. I don't think Allen's better goaltender, but you know. You know, when you need a spark, you need a spark, and I think you know, Allen's been shown he can play well in in um, short bursts. He's not, as we've learned over the past few years, he's not a regular starter. Bennington will be. And I think he'll, Bennington definitely is going to be their guy for the future. But right now, they need um, they need to turn around. And I think putting Allen in goal is going to help them right now. I mean, it, it may not help them, and we, they, they, the Blues could decide if he doesn't play well, he could. Um, they could give it back to Bennington, maybe even as soon as tonight if it doesn't go well. But right now, I'd start Allen for sure. So moving on to the Canadiens Flyers series, it's tied one-one. Puck drops in that game in about an hour, a little more than that. Flyers were the hottest team coming into the bubble before the season was suspended, and they kept that up in the round robin games. They flew through them and they won Game One against Canadiens. But they had a bad game on Friday. They lost five nothing. They really looked bad in every phase of the game. Carter Hart was pulled, rightfully so. He didn't have a good game either. But, you know, when it comes to these two teams, they're clearly, clearly the more complete team. I know the Canadians, you know, they have the huge upset against the Penguins. We're going to talk about that later, too. And, you know, they have Carey Price, who who we know is one of the best goaltenders. In, and it, maybe I wouldn't, probably in NHL history, NHL history, I'd say, you know, people may or may not agree with that. But, yeah, he's one of, especially in the playoffs and the Canadians have made it, he's been one of the best goaltenders there. But clearly, I think the Flyers are the better team on ice. And I, with Carter Hart still playing well, I think they'd win this series. You know, the game, this game tonight, game three, is a huge game for them because if they don't play well, this could show their hot streak was a fluke. But if they play well again, like we've seen them, I just, 
it's going to show that Game 2 was a fluke and they just had a bad performance like everyone else has. My thought, I do think Game 2 was just a fluke. I think they're going to they'll come back. I think the Flyers are going to win pretty convincingly tonight. And they're going to show that they're one of the contenders in the NHL. But you know, either way, it's a big testament tonight. And the last series I want to talk about, Lightning Blue Jackets. You know, This is the series that most people, including myself, I think we're most excited for. You know, the most NHL fans know, not most, every NHL fans know knows how the Lightning got embarrassed last year as the best regular season team of all time. Some thought they got swept by the Blue Jackets in the first round, and they're facing them again. Right now, they're up 2-1 to one in that series. And the Blue Jackets have shown an incredible fight from these playoffs. You know, they don't have that great of a roster, and their defense is sturdy, and that's helped them keep pucks out of that and and their goaltending, Jonas Corposalo is playing really, really good hockey. But Game 3 showed me I think they're starting to run out of, out of gas a little bit because the Lightning clearly are the more complete team here. And they they really outplayed the Blue Jackets. They scored three goals on them. So, you know, obviously it's not over. You know, it's still 2-1 close series. But I do think the Lightning are starting to show that a better team, Blue Jackets, probably starting to run out of gas a little bit. Any, you guys have any thoughts, questions about the series so far? I don't. No. I don't, but I just want to say I'm excited to see the, the Islanders do so well. <laughs> As we were talking to Max uh, before we got on, is that, you know, being Islanders fans since I was little, uh, you know, I haven't really seen the Islanders win too much in the playoffs besides, you know, the, in the past like five years or so, six years or so, they've gone far, maybe two playoffs. Um, but, you know, me being 20, or about to be 20, you know, 20 years of hockey where the Yankees, uh, the Yankees, oh my God, the Islanders <laughs> just haven't been good. And I think, you know, this combination with Barzal um, and Trotz, you know, I think good coaching, uh, a lot of talent, young talent with Barzal uh, and a good defensive back end. The Islanders have a, a good shot to make a run here. Uh, and it's, they're doing pretty well against the Capitals. So yeah. fun to see. Now, the series, it's not over just yet, but, you know, they are looking definitely good. And, and, you know, that's really their identity, you know, with Barry Trotz, their their system. You know, once they lost John Tavares in the 2018 offseason, you know, it was looking down. But they've played as a team, and that's what's helped them out. So, you know, it's good for them. You know, moving on, I was want to talk about the biggest shock of the, the bubble so far. And, um, you know, this happened in the qualifying round. I didn't talk about the qualifying round much because that's past us, and I take a long time. But anyway, the biggest shock of the restart so far has been the Pittsburgh Penguins losing to the Canadians 3-1 to one of the qualifiers. You know, I in my first ever article that I wrote for B-Sport Universe, I said that I thought the Penguins were the had the best chance to win the Stanley Cup. You know, I knew back then that was a hot take, because, but I thought they would because, you know, they were played with injuries all year you know guys like Sidney Crosby Evgeny Malkin Jake Genzel probably their three best players were out for extended periods of time and with them getting healthy and they added Jason Zucker at the deadline I thought they were going to be a real force but they went and they did not play well at all you know the Can- especially against the Canadians I at the very least thought they'd win that round convincingly the Canadians were one of the worst teams we've seen make the the postseason a long time. They've had two eight losing streaks in the regular season and they got swept in the regular season by the Red Wings, who are one of the worst regular season teams in recent memory. But and I thought the Canadian I thought the Penguins were gonna win that easy and go to the Stanley Cup, but no, they didn't look good. They didn't look hungry. They didn't look like they wanted it. And and that's I'd say that's the biggest shock so far. I think most people would agree with that. So, move, I'm going to move on to the last one I want to talk about. The New York Rangers have won the first overall pick in the draft that happened this past Monday night. They're, they're 
just about for sure going to select Alex Lafreniere, who's a Canadian winger. So I just want to take a bit to explain the draft lottery procedure. I did a point of view video over the Rangers winning this pick, but I didn't have nearly the time to explain the whole lottery procedure. And Brian, Nick, if you guys are confused at any point, stop me because this is pretty convoluted, this whole process, but I'm going to do my best to talk about it in an understandable way. So, so on May 24, whatever the date was, sometime in May, Gary Bettman, he had um, went on NBC Sports Network, he announced the whole return to play plan, and he also announced the plan for the draft lottery, which the first phase was a draw of three, te- th- draw of three teams, three out of 15 teams, so the, the first seven teams were the teams that didn't make the season restart, those were the Red Wings, the Senators, the Senators actually had two first round picks because in the top five, because they... Um, they acquired the Sharks pick in the Eric Carlson trade years ago. So yeah, the Sharks center had, had two picks, the um, Kings, the Ducks, Sabres, and one other team. I, I, I'm not, I can't think of it right now, but yeah, those, uh, the Devils, that's who it was. Yeah, the Devils, those are the seven teams that didn't make the bubble, and they were in the lottery. And then eight more teams were placeholder teams. So what that means is those are the um, teams that got eliminated in the, those were, they they eventually became the teams that got eliminated in the um, the qualifying round. But with the, the first phase of the lottery was was a, was a draw of three teams, and by um, the Red Wings had the highest odds to win the lottery, and then through the um, Sabers like, had the eighth highest because eighth highest odds because they were the um, eighth worst team in the league. Then the um, placeholders A through um, F, I believe it was, um, they had um, those teams had. Um, the odds to win the first overall pick and increase in an decreasing order. Do you understand? Do you guys follow me there? Yeah. Is it? Wasn't it? Well, I don't know as much, obviously, but wasn't it like there was a as you're saying the placeholder pick? Like they had a percentage to win the first overall pick. Right. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. So, so the top three ended up going. So we didn't know the placeholder. We didn't know what the teams would be at the start of the. Um, at the phase one of the draft lottery. So what would have happened is if the um, three draws for the first three picks would have been one of the teams that didn't make the um, the restart, that would have been over and there would have been no phase two. But since the um, the Senators won the third overall pick with the Sharks pick that I mentioned, the Kings won the second overall pick, and then the first pick went to placeholder E, I believe. Uh, so at the time, we didn't know. Obviously, we had no idea who that team would be. So then come to phase two on this past Monday night, all eight teams that were eliminated from the first, for the qualifying round, had equal odds to win the, um, that pick, and then the Rangers ended up winning it, so that's how the lottery went, and then the, um, as for the Rangers, I, before the lottery, I, I was saying how they were one of the brightest teams anyway, with our, their team with Artemi Panarin and Mika Zibanejad, Cabocaco, and also they have good players on defense like Adam Fox. Now with this, they're scary. And I think they're going to win a cup for, I won't say for sure, but in the next five years, it looks pretty good. And, you know, they, and as I talked about in my POV, and I'm not going to talk about it here because I, I left a comment pretty in-depth about it on that video, but their cap situation is going to be pretty tight after, especially when Lafreniere's um, entry-level contract is done. So that I'd say it's in their best interest to win the next um, three years. I don't know how possible it, that is, but either way, it's looking really, really, really good for them. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Max doesn't know this, but I'm a big Rangers. Oh, I'm not a big Rangers fan, but I am a Rangers fan. Right, um, okay. I, I haven't done the best job of watching the Rangers this year, but, I mean, I obviously haven't seen the Rangers win a Stanley Cup. And was the last time they won, when was the last time they won, 1994? I, I believe when Mark Messier was on that team. I don't remember exactly. I think it was in the 90s. Yeah, I think it was 94, so obviously I haven't seen one. And... To have the talent that they have now after, obviously, they started their rebuild not long ago. And, no, not at all. Yeah, to have the talent that they have now is very impressive. And something I didn't expect, and to have a team, because I'm a Mets, Jets, Knicks, and Rangers fan, and to have a team that actually has a bright future is exciting, I guess, is the best way for me to say it. Yeah, they definitely do, and it's Jeff Gordon has done such a good job with this rebuild. You know, they start, they broke the news of the trade deadline of 2018, and normally it takes like at least four years to really gel everything, but they've done it so quickly. Yeah, and you know, they every every Rangers fan, despite the sweep in the in the qualifying round, they should be really really excited because clearly the goals were not this year; it's for the future. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right, so I think that's it for hockey. We'll go into football yep. now. Uh, so the NFL, uh, a lot of contract extensions this week, um, and then a little bit other news. So going into the contract extensions, I guess I will start with Kenny Clark. Uh, Kenny Clark extension, a guy's a lot, he's, he's kind of an unknown name. He flies under the radar a lot in the NFL, um, but he is the nose tackle uh, for the Green Bay Packers. And in my opinion, he is the best nose tackle in the all of the NFL. He signed a four-year, $70 million contract extension. Uh, he was the 27th overall pick in 2016, and since then he's been really good. Um, again, no one, no one. I don't, I don't think there's a single player in the NFL that's quite like Kenny Clark that can really clog the middle and take up a lot of runs. Um, when you look at his last season stats, he had 62 tackles, uh, which is a pretty good amount for a defensive lineman, especially interior defensive lineman. Uh, six sacks. Um, you know, not a huge sack guy, but he will put the, he put up a lot of tackles for you. Um, going back 2018, 55 tackles, six sacks. Uh, and then 2017, 55 tackles, four, four and a half sacks. Um, and then 2016 was a rookie year, didn't perform too well that year. But, uh, you know, Kenny Clark, I think best nose tackle in all the NFL. And I think he's well-deserving of that contract. He's a huge staple to that Packers defense. And I don't think he gets uh, praised enough for what he does for the Packers. Um, going from there, the next contract extension we had was uh, George Kittle. Uh, so George Kittle, uh, you know, in my opinion, he's, you know, between him and Travis Kelsey are, and we'll get to Travis Kelsey in a minute, uh, you know, best tight ends in the NFL. And I think the way the NFL is going right now, tight ends are, are becoming more and more of an important position. Uh, you know, I think there's been great tight ends in the past, but the way that the NFL is going is going, becoming a pure passing league with the, with the, with running as the back end. Um, you know, I think next to like wide receivers becoming more important. Uh, tight ends are too because tight ends offer that, that nice balance between running and passing. Um, and George Kittle, I think, is is really great at both. Uh, he's a great receiver, but he's also a great blocker. Um, and you know, five years, seventy five million dollars. I think it's well warranted for George Kittle. Uh, you know, it's it's a lot of money, but when you're paying for the amount of talent and what he's put on paper so far, uh, he's been pretty incredible. Uh, Leading his past couple seasons, you know, this past season he had eighty five receptions, over a thousand yards, which is a ton for a tight end. Um, you know, you have five touchdowns, which is and that's that's the regular season. Uh, so that's pretty good. Obviously, they went to the Super Bowls, and which, um, which you know, in the postseason he had eight receptions, seventy-one yards. Uh, didn't have a single touchdown in the postseason, but 
Uh, you know, with the 49ers being such a run-heavy team, I think George Kittle in that 49ers system is works really well. Um, you know, the 49ers, you know, what we've seen over the past two years, um, they love to, to run it down your throats and then pass it on the back end. And I think George Kittle is perfect for that. He's a great run blocker, but then he's also pretty elusive, and he's, he's got great hands. Uh, you know, he's a great receiver, so I think he's well. The money for him is well warranted. Can I say um, something about that extension really quickly? Yeah, go for it. So, you know, obviously George Kittle, I think is the best tight end in the league, and he played. He definitely was going to be the highest paid tight end in the league. But I think the what was it, fifteen million per year he got? I think that's crazy, a crazy increase for the market because I believe the. Highest paid tight end was Austin Hooper, and you know, I think George Kittle end up being worth it. But I think fifty, I expected like in the 13, 14 million range. That's a big increase. I really agree with you. As I said, like with the tight ends and how the, the NFL is continually going towards a passing league, um, and you know, coming. I think what tight ends are really great for is when you run a lot of offenses out of a shotgun set, uh, meaning that the the quarterback is backed up about five yards behind the line. Um, you know, it, it gives the defense a, a tougher look in terms of right. they don't know whether a pass or a run is coming. And having a really solid tight end like a George Kittle gives you, opens up a lot of options in terms of run blocking uh, for maybe like an inside zone play. You know, he will hold his block for longer, uh, a read a read option possibly. Uh, and then you have those those short little quick routes that you can throw to a, a big tight end like George Kittle. You know, it opens up the offense a lot. Right. And the market for tight ends is continually increasing. And, you know, for him to get – uh, five years, seventy-five million. It's a lot of money, um, and as right. you said, I think he'll be worth it. But again, really big increase there. Yep. Um, and I guess going off of him, uh, Travis Kelsey also signed a contract, contract extension, which his wasn't as big. Uh, it was about four years, fifty-seven million dollars. Uh, but same thing, I think, for Travis Kelsey. Although he's not as good a run blocker as George Kittle, I think that's where he, you know, fits himself into this, the second slot in terms of uh, tight end ranks in the NFL. Um, I think he's a little bit of a better receiver than George Kittle. Um, you know, he, he's got great hands. He's pretty quick. Um, he, he creates a mismatches for a lot of teams um, in the NFL. Um, and then we, when you look at, uh, you know, where the defense defenses are going now and how much, like, safeties are, are being used in terms of covering tight ends, having that really good tight end is important. And, you know, I, I talked about this a little bit earlier when the Chiefs re-signed Patrick Mahomes. Um, specifically looking at uh, Travis Kelsey here, as I said, they're going to have to extend the, extend a lot of guys on that team because contracts were expiring, and so far it's worked out to how I saw it coming. Uh, you know, the, the, when looking at the Chiefs, right? They've they've re-signed Mahomes, they've re-signed um, Jones on, on the defense, and now they've gone ahead and re-signed Travis Kelsey on the offense. Um, and right now, the odd man out is looking more and more like Tyree Kill, and as I expected earlier, I think Tyree Kill is not going to get re-signed, and they're going to stick with McCole Hardman on a cheaper rookie contract and then possibly re-sign him because um, he offers that speed that they're looking for. You know, he's, he's not Tyree Kill, but, you know, they have to look this practic- They have to look at the, their salary cap practically, and if Tyree Kill can't fit in the budget, then they might have to let him walk, and it looks like more and more like that's the option they're going to go with. Yeah, I'd agree with that, honestly. I think I – think- I wouldn't say replaceable. I think with the how great of a quarterback Mahomes is, how deep their core is, I think that it wouldn't hurt him that bad to lose Tyreek Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going off of that, the next contract extension was Deion Dawkins, who's been a pretty solid part of the Bills defense, uh, Bills offensive line rather for quite some years now. Um, they gave him four years, sixty million dollars, which you know I, I think it's a lot of money. And looking back at like somebody like the Giants. 
um, who signs Nasol to the biggest tackle contract, the biggest contract in offensive. I think it, either a ta- yeah, I think it was tackle has gotten paid ever in the NFL or not ever in the NFL, but he was the highest paid tackle uh, in the NFL for quite some time. Um, you know, it didn't work out there. I'm not a huge believer in spending huge money on tackles because they may not work out. Uh, but Deion Dawkins has been a staple for the Buffalo Bills for quite some years. And, uh, you know, him being drafted in 2017, and he's been a starter in, you know, each of the last two seasons. Um, 2019 was his best season. Um, you know, I, I think he was deserving of a contract extension, but that is a ton of money. We'll have to see if it was it's going to be worth it for the Bills. You know, with Josh Allen continually, continually progressing and that Bills offense getting better and better each year with with draft picks, and, and I think Sean McDermott's put a pretty good coach for the Bills. So, you know, I think it's really important to protect Josh Allen. So, you know, well, I think it'd be worth it. I'm not sure. You know, I think it was definitely worth extending him and continually to beef up that offensive line to protect Josh Allen. Uh, but the amount of money they gave him was pretty high. Yeah. Um, and then if you have anything to say about that, uh, going forward, uh, last, um, to, I guess the two, I'll go the two signings. Uh, so the Cowboys wound up signing Everson Griffin, who's been a defensive end for the Vikings uh, for the past couple of years. Um, you know, he's 32 now. Um, in 2018, he dealt, he dealt with some, what he claimed were mental health issues, and he is, um, you know, sacks count went down. Um, but from 2015 to 2017, you know, he was one of the best defensive ends in the entire league. Um, and after the Cowboys lost Robert Quinn this past season and Demarcus Lawrence not having as great of a season, they really needed somebody to replace on that opposite side of Rob, Robert Quinn. Um, and I guess they're going to go with Everson Griffin, which I think is a pretty good replacement there. You know, I was curious to see what the Cowboys were going to do because obviously they decided not to go with a defensive lineman, um, a, a, a really an a edge rusher rather, in the draft. So I was expecting them to make a signing, and there it is. They did get Navelle Gelmore, who I thought was really good for Oklahoma. So that def- that Cowboys defensive line is pretty solid, and it's going to be pretty good for a couple years down the line now. Um, you know, I think they, they still have some work to do with their secondary, but that their defensive line is looking pretty solid uh, with the Everson Griffin signing. Um, in terms of the, the contract that they have, um, I'm not sure what that is looking like yet. Uh, pretty good signing for the Cowboys. And then the, the last signing was Lamar Miller, uh, running back for the Texans for the past couple of years. Uh, he was on the pup list last year. Uh, we'll see him get hopefully come back healthier this year. Uh, but, you know, I think the Patriots are trying to put together as much talent as they can, especially now that the Patriots have had so many players opt out. Uh, Patrick Chung, Dante Hightower, um, you know, some big losses there. They also lost Marcus Cannon. So uh, being able to put whatever they can together, because I think this is a big year for Bill Belichick. You know, if he can even, I would say even lead them to a winning season, it would be huge. Uh, with Cam Newton, obviously, new quarterback over there. Uh, their offensive line is pretty abysmal and even worse now with Marcus Cannon out. Their defense is pretty bad. Uh, between the losses to, in free agency as well as COVID, you know, that team is looking, in terms of talent, is pretty abysmal. They're, you know, frankly, they're awful talent-wise, but Bill Belichick is an incredible coach, and you know I think this is the year where we're going to see Bill Belichick, how good of a coach is he, and I think Lamar Miller gives him a little bit more talent at the running back spot, um, although they've had pretty solid running backs uh, for quite some years, you know, between Sony Michelle, um, Rex Burkhead, who have been pretty good for them, this offers them another option, I thought Deion Lewis was pretty good for them too, but they let him walk to the Titans. Um, which he is now on the Giants, which I'm kind of excited to have Deion Lewis in the Giants, but I digress. Do um, you have any, any comments about those signings, Max or Brian? Uh, no, not really. All right, so, and then the last thing I wanted to talk about was the first episode of Hard Knocks dropped for 2020. 
Uh, it's featuring the the Rams and the Chargers. Um, you know, it's pretty interesting. The first season, you know, uh, you, I think I think this episode is really interesting because it, it gives us really the first look. I think at a, uh, any sports franchise, it gives you like an in depth look of how they're dealing with COVID. Um, you know, I would say majority episode deals with the players getting tested and the hoops they got to in the mass and the hoops they got to jump through to have practice. You know, should they have masks on during during warmups? Should they not? You know, they don't. They they're not going to recommend masks during full play because the ability to breathe is kind of hindered and the performance may be hindered. Um, I'm sure the NFL is looking at maybe specially designed helmets in order to counteract that. But you know, just to be able to see, have an in, in depth look at how the especially the NFL is handling this COVID situation is I think is really interesting. Um, as well as you know, the, they got an interesting group of characters as always with Hard Knocks. You know, I think once you see one Hard Knocks, you kind of expect what, what you're going to get out of the rest of them. But this one's interesting just simply due to COVID. Um, if you guys haven't seen it yet, I definitely uh, suggest you give it a look. Um, um, and I think that about covers all the NFL news for today. Um, if Max, you want to do college, you can go ahead and go for it. Okay, sure. So. The SEC is going to release their schedule tomorrow night. Right now, the um, the only three, the Big Ten and Pac-12 cancel. I think most of you guys know in the Big 12, ACC, and SEC are going to play, which I'm really glad about. One thing I will say, I, I'm not going to complain. I don't want to complain about the SEC too much because they are playing, and I'm happy about that. But one thing I think it's pretty obvious what they did. They're trying to protect the contenders like Alabama, LSU, Georgia, because of the way they – what they're doing, I should say first, they're adding two non – non-division opponents. They're only playing conference games. They're adding two. So like if the teams from SEC East get two more teams from the West and teams from the SEC West get two more teams from the East. And uh, the SEC, I think, was pretty obvious how much they tried to protect the contenders for the for the national championship because they Alabama got their opponents were Kentucky and Missouri who aren't supposed to be very good. And then LSU gets Vanderbilt and Missouri who are also not supposed to be very good. But then Tennessee gets... Uh, Auburn and Texas A and M and two teams are supposed to be one top twenty five teams in the nation. So you know, I don't know. When you really consider, it, why don't you consider it's really a minor complaint? But I think they should have done what the ACC did and eliminate divisions for a year and and just get and just plan opponents. Like for example, Wake Forest, where I go, we're playing the the other three schools from North Carolina, which we should do every year. And then our two two of our non division opponents who we. Two of our division opponents, normally who we'd play, Boston College and Florida State, we're not going to play them this year. And we still keep our game from the um, ACC Coastal that we play every couple of years. Like we got Miami scheduled this Miami scheduled this year, and we get to keep them. So that's good news. Other news, Justin. In other news, Justin Fields. He put out a petition this morning to um, bring back the Big Ten play to reinstate the year. It, Last I heard, you guys told me you had over 100,000 signings. So personally, I think this is just a no avail. The Big Ten, they made a decision. They're not going to go back on it, you know, despite multiple complaints from parents, students alike. But it's pretty, you know, it's, it's cool to see, but I don't think it's going to do um, do much. What do you guys have to say about that and anything? Um, you know, I think it's pretty interesting to see, like, what conferences are playing versus not. Um, you know, Wake Forest was supposed to play Villanova this year, but right. Villanova, Villanova isn't playing their season because uh, I forget, I forget what, what our conference is called. But we canceled non we canceled non conference games anyway. Yeah, it's just you know, I, I hope to see the Big Ten come back. Uh, you know, Justin Fields obviously Justin Fields' petition is not going to do anything. Um, 
but you know it is it is you know as you said it's not it's not a surprise that it got a hundred thousand signatures and counting um people want to see college football and honestly i don't see why college football can't happen or fall sports can't happen the ncaa is such a a rich uh organization and you're telling me that they can't put in they can't put in proper i know it's gonna i'm not saying it's going to be easy you're telling me they don't have the personnel as well as the funding to be able to put in safety measures for for teams to play, and you know obviously we're going to play without fans if, if they were to play, and then be able to spend money on testing, which I think they have the money to do. Um, you know I really don't see an issue with teams playing, and you know I think it, it would be interesting to see if teams from Big Ten were allowed to join the SEC, the ACC, the Big Twelve um, for for the season. I'm not sure if it's going to happen. The only team I could really see moving is like an Ohio State because they're the only team that really has. I think the reputation as well as probably the funding to be able to, to do something like that. But will it happen? I have no clue. I don't think that'll happen. And one thing I will say about the safety issues, yo, I think we're seeing that we've people talk about this before and like what we've seen from yesterday, it's honestly I in my opinion, more safe for them to be to play a season this year and like to be at school and I'll tell you why. Because, you know, when you're when these players are gonna play, they're gonna be motivated to follow safety procedures, they're gonna wear a mask, do all that, blah blah. And they're gonna stay at school. At their campuses, you know, apparently, not apparently, Lincoln Riley, he sent a bunch of his players home for a couple of days. I don't remember why, but then they came back and nine of them tested positives. And if, where I would say, if they just stayed on campus, they probably would have not tested positive. I percent agree with you. And just looking at it, like, across the entire college football, you know, I guess fall sports in general, for the players that want to make it professional, and even players that don't, like it is utmost importance to them to play that season, and you know I think I, I, me personally, when I'm looking through it, players that are on the cusp of making the NFL versus not, they need this season to happen, right. and they will 100 percent follow guidelines to make this yeah. season happen. Yeah, and I, and I'd say a lot of players will fall in the same boat, even if they're not trying to make the NFL. I will say also, I do not see spring football happening at all, and if it does, you're not going to see a bunch of the big name players like Justin Fields, Penny Sewell, anyone from the any big name from the pick ten or Pac twelve who. If they have a spring season, they're going to sit out because they know they're going to the draft. So that just you, you guys see a spring football season happening either? Yeah, no, I, I don't yeah, see I don't, it happening. Yeah. Because think so. you know when, we, when I think when ba- the basketball season got canceled for college, people were, gonna, were saying would they push it back? And it's just hard for the NCAA to push seasons back. Because number one, are players going to be in school? Will they have the same ticket sales or students like backing them? And it also, it's going to interfere with drafts. So it's just right. it, it, there's so much. It's such a mess to reschedule it, and there's so many different confounding factors. And for them to have these seasons outside of their normal time period is really tough for the NCAA. And I think you made a good point. You know, I I said something like you know every when I, everything happened in March. You know, the NBA and NHL were suspended, not postponed, but suspended. March Madness was just canceled. And if it was to me, I think if they could have. The NBA and NHL obviously came back because it's their those players' jobs. They get paid, all that. But college players, they don't get paid, and they can't be told to play when they're not supposed to because they're amateur athletes. Mm-hmm. So I think if they would have postponed that, they would. But because we didn't see just the tournament postponed, we are not going to see college football in the spring. It's just not possible. That's a good point. I think that that's it for college? Yep, that's all I have. All right. Um, so that about wraps it up. Nick, any uh, final things you want to add? Uh, no, and, um, you know, I just want to say I'm, I'm heading back to college now. I just moved in yesterday. Since we have no sports, um, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of good stuff happening across all the sports right now. Um, you know, I'm hoping we'll see the, the revival of college sports, but in terms of professional sports, we're pretty much all there now. 
um, which is good. I think, you know, every single league has their protocols in order. We're entering into the playoffs for the NBA. Um, the NFL is going to start soon. And again, we're just inching closer and closer to some sort of normalcy in the COVID world of sports. Um, with that being said, I just want to thank you guys for listening. Um, if you guys have any comments, questions, concerns, feel free to email me at my email, nicholashorbeth10yahoo.com. Um, other than that, um, uh, I guess I'll hand it off to Brian. Um, and thank you guys for listening. See you guys next week. Max, any uh, final things you want to add? Uh, no, thanks for having me. I'll see you guys next week, too. All right, so um, first off, I want to th- say thank you to Max for joining us. It's nice to have a third person on the podcast. Yep. It's been a while. Um, one thing I did want to add, which I forgot to say, um, the Hard Knocks thing kind of reminded me. So I've been watching Trevor Bauer has been posting, like, YouTube vlogs or whatever of, like, life in COVID for the baseball season. And they've, he's been, like, going through all the protocols that he's on the red, so all the protocols that they have to go through. He hasn't posted a vlog since the whole Reds have been postponed, so it'll be interesting how they go about doing that. But some of the things that I've noticed, I mean, obviously every day they, before they get to the ballpark, they have to do like a home screening, which is probably like temperature taking and all that stuff. Then they get tested at the field. I think they do a daily saliva test, which is where I got that uh, from in the beginning of the podcast. Um, so it's interesting to see, similar to Hard Knocks, how these players are dealing with it. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what that vlog's like, um, after the whole Reds thing. But other than that, um, that's all I have to say. So we'll be back next week with another podcast. Let us know what you thought of this. If you have any comments, concerns, you can DM us. Um, check out our videos on YouTube. Check out our POVs on Instagram and stuff like that. Um, if you have any interest writing for us, editing videos, anything like that, contact the sport, universe2019 at gmail.com. And other than that, thanks for listening.